All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod. There is another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It was a remarkable moment for me today, uh, sitting at Second Harvest Heartland at their headquarters in their warehouse as our board announced, along with the leadership uh, of Second Harvest Heartland, the governor, the lieutenant governor, announced a plan to cut hunger in half in Minnesota by the year 2030. It's Jason. Welcome to Drive Time with Russia. I often complain about the fact in this state that we like to do little things. We are afraid of doing big things and big, bold action is fun. It's fun. It's exciting. It's risky because it might fail, but big stuff makes a big difference in people's lives. That's what we all, I think, want, right? Uh, It was fun to be a part of it. It's been fun to be a part of the planning of uh, this moonshot. And today on the show, we're going to talk with Ali O'Toole. I often, well, I almost never start the show asking you to stick around until 4 o'clock. But today, I really hope you will, because Allison O'Toole, who runs Second Harvest Heartland, will talk about what it means, right? Like you've heard CCO reporting all day talking about the moonshot and the goal to cut hunger in half. How? What does it mean? What can we all do? And uh, we'll talk about that kind of because we can't just keep feeding our way in an emergency sense out of hunger. It doesn't solve the problem. It gets people to tomorrow. Maybe you hope, but it doesn't make people less at risk of, of being food insecure or being hungry. So we'll talk about kind of what that means for Minnesota coming up at 405. I wanted to start today because this weekend as a Twins fan was so special. Twins Fest back in action, the Diamond Awards last week. Just this this sense of optimism and excitement that only sports, I think, can provide. I really do. Uh, not all of us are hardcore sports fans, but the NFL this weekend again showed in a time where we, we argue about everything, everything. Pushing aside the wackadoos who are mad about Taylor Swift because I'm convinced that that is a small subset of absolute lunatics. Uh, Most of us came together this weekend at just how crazy these games were and how fun the NFL was. And it is emotionally difficult, I think, to get your arms around it if you're a thinking person and you look at kind of some of the negative of football, right? It's an incredibly brutal sport. It's populi- populated and led by incredibly rich and greedy and problematic people. And it's so dang fun. It's so, so fun. And oh, Detroit, you just, you, you felt it, even though in the first half, the Lions look so good, Dan. Mm-hmm. 
but you just you knew that the 49ers weren't going to be weren't going to roll over. They were going to make a run. It was just a matter of whether Detroit, you know, could keep going or not. And every Vikings fan has been where Detroit fans are today. Were you cheering for Detroit? I I mean, at, I at this point when it comes to the NFL, I don't really have much of a really you don't interest. Care. I just want entertaining games. Right. And we were delivered two very entertaining games yesterday. I felt bad for the Lions fans. Because that would have been such a great story. Would have been a great story. All of the years of futility for them to finally get to a Super Bowl. Yeah. Uh, would have been something. And, you know, to sort of have it be, there's a multiplicity of factors that went into that, but there was certainly some shooting oneself in the foot that was involved. Uh, not maybe there were a lot of, but, now obviously you can kind of fixate on the field goal aspect of things. Yeah. And we'll talk to Dave Schwartz yeah. about sort of what has happened to football when the analytics has taken over and the aggressiveness, uh, you know, you see the little graphic show up on the screen for, you know, 62% say you should go for it on this as opposed to uh, any genius, I think, certainly late in the fourth quarter, most of us would have taken the points and tied the game. Um, But anyway, it sure was entertaining, right? That was just it. I mean, it's, you know, you mentioned it, and I think you hit the nail on the head. The NFL has all kinds of problems. They've had problems with gender issues. They've had problems with racial issues. And they continue to have problems with a lot of these things. Um, There is greed. There is dishonesty. There is avarice. There's all kinds of problematic things going on with the NFL. And it is undeniable when you watch those games yesterday and the divisional round games the week before that it puts on arguably, very arguably, the most entertaining product in all of sports. It really does. Yeah. And that's why, you know, the ratings are sky high. That's why they're printing money in the NFL. Uh, and for all of its problems, you just can't argue with the entertainment level of the right. product. Right. Now, whether that's enough to get you to, you know, overlook the rest of the problems or not, that's it an is. individual decision. I think for most people. I think for is. a lot of people it is. Yeah. But that's an individual decision. What I think we can all agree on is those were two fantastic. Yes. Games. We were cheering for the Lions. Um, and the, to the people who are like, you can't cheer for your divisional rival. In right. what universe are the Lions yes. a real rival for the Vikings? They're just not. That's not a historic rivalry. No. Yes, they're in our division. Yeah. But it's not the same. No. If, if, if we're looking at the Packers or looking at the Bears, you could say, all right. Like, it's hard to cheer for the Packers. Two teams, by the which, neither of whom would say the Vikings are their rival. Who Green, Green Bay and Chicago would say they're each other's rival. Depends where, yeah. Where, Western Wisconsin, where Wisconsin, maybe, Wisconsin. but for the most part. I mean, the when time I le- that I spent in Wisconsin, it was no, all the Bears. When I lived in Milwaukee. Yeah, it was all about the Bears. All about the Bears. Green Bay would say, uh, uh, same deal. They hate Chicago. Yeah. Uh, are we no one's rival? Well, I mean... Kind Does of no one think about us? This I, is the worst insult, the worst dig we could possibly have against ourselves. Here's and, and Chad's been a big promoter of this. It's hard to call something a rivalry when it's been so one-sided. And when you lose as often mm. as Minnesota teams have and seem to continue to do, it's awfully difficult to look at another team and go, oh, yeah, that's our rival. Do you think it's that or do you think it's just the geography? I think it's the geography. I don't think it has much to do. Most rivalries, I think, have more to do with 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 the geography. I think, you know, New England and Indianapolis when it was Brady and Manning were huge rivals. 
and that had nothing to do with geography whatsoever. That but was that was just, just those two quarterbacks. Well, but I'm saying, right. I mean, that's, I think so. That was a different sort of I rivalry. Think performance on the field and whether mm. teams match up Maybe. a bunch and win and lose a bunch—that's what creates a rivalry. So I'll agree with you, but say there are two different kinds of rivalries. Qualified you have. Agreement. You have the rivalry of the moment that has to do with the personnel, has to do with the way the teams are playing. And then you have, like, the deep-seated generational, I hate this team and I cannot explain why. That is how Vikings fans feel about the Packers. Yeah, It's how Packers fans feel about the Bears. And growing up in Chicago, it's sort of how you felt about everyone. <laughs> we, we hate all of you. You are not Chicago. It's sort of the deal. Yeah, sure. Um, we cheer for the Lions and... But we weren't celebrating a win. I mean, you like, knew you're like, oh yeah. boy. No, there was a great. I mean, is there certainly a great storyline to root for with the Lions? I, you know, with the 49ers, Brock Purdy is such an amazing story given where he was drafted. And yes, the quality that he's shown, and yet he still can't get credit for it. He, well, he's a game manager, quarter, he did, whatever. He wins. I don't care yeah. what how he does yeah. it. He wins, That's and fine. he wins a bunch, and made some amazing plays. Yes, and then the Chiefs. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is other level. He really is. And it, and the Chiefs are an example of a team that once they get in the playoffs, it's it's a different out, story. They've been there. They've done it. They've faced yeah. all the different circumstances. You're just not going to phase them. This is a redo of the 2020 Super Bowl. I believe Bowl. that was it, yeah. It's just what we're doing this year, isn't it? I mean. Like it's, the, it's the year. <laughs> May as well. Might as well, right? We're we're rolling it back in the political realm and in the in the football realm as well. Um, I want to replay the conversation we had with Pablo Lopez from Twins Fest this weekend. Twins Fest was so fun, and Pablo is such an interesting guy. We had a great conversation about the off season, about his level of dedication. Uh, in his level of focus and professionalism, and I think you'll enjoy it. That is coming up in just a couple minutes right here on CCO. Stick around. All right, welcome back to Twins Fest live at Target Field on News Talk 830 WCCO. Let's hear it for Pablo Lopez, everybody. <laughs> Pretty good. Jason DeRush along with Chris Atterbury continuing our live coverage that's been here on CCO, the home of the Twins. We can't wait to get back to the season. We can't wait to get to Fort Myers. And, Pablo, you'll uh, be down there pretty soon as well. Yeah, I'm going to be there in two weeks from now, actually. Yeah. I like to get there a couple of days before it actually starts, get settled. I don't like doing things rushed or anything, so give myself more time. Is it different this year having had the full season now as a Twin as opposed to last year when you're coming to a new organization with some unknowns? Absolutely, especially exactly a year ago, the first Twins Fest, Twins Fest Live, all these festivities with all of you guys. Looking back, it feels like a little bit of a blur. I was overwhelmed by getting to know a lot of people. So now my whole, my, with a full year under my belt as a twin, it's been an, an unbelievable couple of days here with you guys. And I just I couldn't be happier or more excited about this year. We did some great, great things last year that we're happy about, but at the same time, we're not satisfied. You know, we got that feeling that we really wanted to feel, but I, we know there's more, and that's exactly what we're going to go after this year. You know, and, and the fans like to hear that, right? <laughs> I think a lot of us wonder as a fan when you come into a new team and you have that environment where, especially you're coming in, uh, you know, in a trade for a very popular player, 
Do you are you worried or were you worried about like the the reception you were going to get? Because certainly it didn't take long to turn the fans around. But uh, it's just an unusual circumstance. Most of us can't relate. Like you know, going into a job where maybe people are happier there, maybe not. Maybe, maybe, and you know, when he was hitting 400 for half the season, it's easy to understand. You heard about it. I, everyone did. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, like, it also encouraged me knowing that the Twins were willing to make that move for, for me, you know. Like, if they're willing right. to, you know, the reigning AL batting champion to go to another team and bring me in, that just gave me, that gave me a tremendous amount of confidence and really encouraged me to go out there and do my thing. Not trying to be anyone else because, obviously, it's hard to fill in his shoes because we play different positions. But it's about, it was about showing the Twins who I am. You did. I think you did. Yeah, o- opening a, day shutout. Season. Yeah, just start with an opening day shutout and then go from there. You came here with a reputation for a good fastball, obviously, great changeup. Then last year was the year of the sweeper. You, you mix that in. What, what's next? What are we adding to the arsenal this year to take it to the next level? I think it's not not really adding because it's already at five pitches and anything else is trying to do too much yeah. but it's my first offseason with a five pitch arsenal and it's about really exploring all the options that you know that represents uh during the season learning a new pitch really can experiment too much because your job is getting people out so this offseason is being about really understanding what my arsenal can do and how to go about it you know different pitches moving different uh, directions can open up you know uh, opportunities to put guys away in different positions and the main thing I've been is I want to make sure that I throw all of my pitches coming out from the same spot to remain unpredictable to make to make it harder on hitters to pick up on anything that I might be giving away and then just learning that I can use every part of the zone now and making sure that I can execute uh, any pitch in any count whether I'm behind in the count ahead in the count or it's at zero zero count I know I can throw my pitches very aggressively in the zone. You, you have talked before about your discipline, your approach, your attention to detail. You did an interview in the dugout with Tom Verducci uh, in, in uh, Houston, I think, in game two. And I think I, like everybody, was watching that and were like, unbelievable. Like, the way you were breaking down what you were doing and breaking down your approach, to me, uh, I actually found very inspirational as far as your approach and dedication to a craft. How, how do you keep plugged in and keep focused and keep driven? Yeah, to me, it's always been, it's been about having a routine and turning that routine into pretty much, pretty much a ritual. You know, I feel like I need to do these things because I know they work. I know they're the things that are, go- that are going to make me feel ready, make me feel prepared, and I do those things every single day. Whether I had a good game or a bad game, I know this is what is going to get me feeling good and right for the next game. It's easy to come to the field, show up, and do your job the right way after a good start. It's not as easy to feel that motivated, motivated after a bad game. So it's about understanding, like, these are the things I need to do in order to feel the best way that I can to help the team. And I took that approach with me every single day last season. There was a rough patch here and there, but it, it was about that resiliency. And, like, at the end of the day in baseball, every, uh, things always even out. You know, that's why there's a bunch of statistics, odds, everything evens out. High point of your offseason. Well, you, you don't take much of one. You're always working at your craft, but what has been the uh, the high point away from the game for you this winter? 
No, this offseason's been a great one. Uh, I took some time after the after the season. I always get a little a little nostalgic, a little heartbroken. We had such a good team, such a good thing going. So when it got taken away, I was pretty sad. But then I found a routine and I devoted myself to that routine. But I did have um, uh, some good opportunities to go travel. And in December, I went to my hometown back home. And I was able to see my grandparents, um, my aunts, my uncles, a lot of family. And I was able to go to my hometown field where I grew up playing. And I invited all of the Little League teams that are playing there now. And I had a decent amount of donations. And we did a whole event. And everyone was really happy. And I, I needed to do something like that to reconnect with why we do the things we do, especially when I'm blessed to have this platform. That's, That's beautiful. Great. Beautiful. Yeah. I noticed you've got a little uh, bracelet on that says Happy uh, Pablo Day. <laughs> did, did a fan uh, make that for you? Or? Yes, yesterday. A fan gave, gave it to me yesterday, and I put it on right away. How, how fun is this for you guys to have this sort of up-close interaction with Twins fans? <laughs> it's fun for them. It's fun for us, too. Yeah. Like, this, this is unbelievable, especially such an amazing, genuine fan base like this. Uh, it, makes, it makes it a pleasure to play for them. You know, they come to the ballpark, they feel the seats, they let us know that they, we have their support, they cheer on us, and it just makes me want to go out there and perform to the best that I can. You know, it might be their first time watching me. For some people, it might be the last time watching me. So I really have to make sure that I'm out there doing my best to make sure that I'm putting a good show for them. And, you know, some days it doesn't go that way, and they let us know that we, we have their support, and that's exactly what I try to show them, that I have their backs too. I think it's a happy Pablo day today, isn't it? <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> Pablo Lopez, thank you so much. Let's hear from thank Pablo. Thank you, guys. Of applause for Pablo. So nice, uh, and we had a great time with all the twins out there getting ready. Uh, for the season, we'll be down in Fort Myers uh, for the first week of spring training. So f- starting, I think, February 19th is when our first yep, Monday the, the 19th we'll be in Fort Myers. Doing our show live all week, so it should be good stuff. You'll be able to hear the lawnmowers in the background. Uh, Although if you wait, hey, well, hey, hang around long enough up here, you might be hearing lawnmowers. I mean, the way well, it's that is 50 degrees, record high temperature today. Absolutely crazy. Just a minute. We will talk with uh, Twin Cities' father. Uh, who many of us know for his uh, commitment to theater in this town, Lou Bellamy. Uh, His son died in the Hennepin County Jail in what, at least on first blanche, seems to be an absolutely outrageous and egregious manner. We'll hear from Lou and his crusade for justice when we come back here on CCO. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. His son in the Hennepin County Jail... His pain repeatedly ignored, and then 41-year-old Lucas Bellamy died in the custody of the county, in our custody, if you think about it, right? Because the county is all of us. It's society's responsibility 
to make sure that we take care of people who are locked up. And at the very least, what was happening with Lucas Bellamy based on video from inside the jail is outrageous. All of us should be outraged. And his father has been speaking about it, has filed a lawsuit about about it. Lou Bellamy founded the Penumbra Theater in St. Paul. He is a, a, a legend in our community, and he is uh, with us on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline right now. Lou, I'm so sorry uh, for for your loss and for your pain, and I wonder if you could maybe start by by just telling us kind of uh, where where you're at in that grieving process right now. Well, as you probably know, uh, my son died uh, on the 21st of July in 22. So we've taken this amount of time to collect uh, evidence and support for a claim that uh, he was just a, a victim of indifference and callousness inside of the system you know it's it's difficult because people are uh when they go to jail obviously we believe they've done something wrong and they owe a debt to society but when they're there we we've we as a society have taken away their ability to care for themselves so that responsibility is placed squarely on the shoulders of the state or the county. And in this case, they failed miserably. He was uh, in jail uh, originally. Why? Uh, I, I'm not sure why he, what they had him charged with. I know he had seen a judge. There was a car involved in drugs. My son was a, addicted and fought. This, the addiction that he had most of his adult life. But um, that makes no difference to me. I mean, when, when you're in there, you're a ward of the state, and they should be taking care of you. Lou Bellamy is with us here on CCO, talking about his son, Lucas, who died while in jail custody. And, and to me, Lou, what's, what's most egregious about this is the fact that in the video you see uh, your son really begging for help. And he's in a condition where, you know, if if deputies at first think that he's faking it or the nurse or something, I guess that's one thing. But but uh, he repeatedly was asking for help. And just looking at it, it certainly looked like he was in in serious, serious pain. And it turned out he had a perforated bowel, which and then yeah. he, and then he's yeah. dead. Right. Exactly. Uh, it, it, it angers you to see, first of all, a human being in that sort of abject uh, uh, suffering and compounded by people who are standing around going through everyday life while this is happening at their feet. Literally, you see people. I noticed on that that tape smiling and uh, just ignoring him. Uh, it, it's it's unfathomable. 
And this was a long period of time, really. You know, this wasn't just, oh, his condition worsened over a period of an hour or something. This was... No, no. It was a couple days that he was begging for for help. And you know what's so egregious about it is the hospital was right across the street. I don't see why you, you just couldn't walk someone over there. You know, it... it, it it boggles the mind. Yeah, it's it is, and I do think, and he was was seen by medical people in the jail, right, or was he not there? Yeah, when upon intake, I guess one would call it, uh, he was examined by a doctor and uh, found to be at that time uh, all right, able to to be locked up. But the doctor noted in his evaluation that he should be returned to the doctor if any symptoms developed. So, so the lawsuit said that when he when he was uh, taken into the jail, he was over. He was taken to HCMC, and he told the staff he had taken a bag of drugs. And so, yes. so by by, and that was July 18th. By the night of July 20th. When you look at the video, there was a nurse who checked in on him and the nurse recorded on the chart that he was on the floor and he was moaning and he needed 45 seconds. The video showed him taking 45 seconds to crawl from his cell uh, before getting to a table. And he's saying, I need to go to the hospital. I need IV liquid. And yeah. so so he was asking, to go, do you think is your is your view that people who work in the jail at least these people become uh, callous or insensitive to insensitize to to desensitize to to the to to the humans in there because they think of them as just as criminals. You know, I you've got a good point. I think they do become inured to it. The the you know whatever they see every day in the jail, but that really doesn't make any difference. It's still their duty and their their responsibility to uh, to take care of those people. Again, they can't take care of themselves. All of the ability to save oneself or to take medication or to see a doctor has been taken away. So it is their responsibility. And I don't care that they're they've seen it a thousand times it doesn't make any difference one more time is a new person and according to our lawyer five people have died in that facility since lucas did so it's clearly something is wrong eight people have died according to the lawsuit at the jail in the past two years 15 since 2015 and it does make you wonder, you know, is there something going on here in this jail where where people aren't being cared for in the way that we as a society should care for any other human being? Exactly. Lou Bellamy is with us here on CCO. The lawsuit uh, just filed last week after uh, after Lucas died. Did you get. 
I guess, did you get clear answers as to what happened or did it take the legal process to sort of uncover this? Were they cooperative? Were they apologetic? What what sort of reaction did you get from the county? The well, from the county, I, I you know, it, it's varied. There are so many forms and so forth that you have to fill out. And uh, but did anyone apologize? Did anybody apologize to you and no, say we, we let your not from the county, no. Uh, the two officers that came to my home to tell us that our son was dead were, uh, one of them, I think it was, was a rookie, and it was her first time out mm. doing that sort of thing. So it was difficult for her and, of course, difficult for us. But I haven't had any interaction with the county or the system. The sheriff, uh, nothing. Hmm. No, no. Uh, I understand. Like, there's a legal situation, and you don't want to, uh, you know, you you worry about admitting that something was done wrong here from a legal standpoint. But my gosh, from a humanity standpoint, it's uh, that's tough to hear. You know. Well, I've read in the paper as uh, when it's reported that uh, they, their, their deepest sympathies are with the family. I think that's the wording. Mm-hmm. So um, that's okay. That's something. Yeah, yeah. doesn't excuse that sort of uh, indifference, I guess. What do you hope comes of the lawsuit? Well, I, I, I think that clearly with the number of people that have died in custody there, that something is wrong. And uh, I, I'd really like to see the uh, the county live up to that, admit that, and begin to train people and uh, teach them a better way of handling these folks. You know, for every one of those folks that are incarcerated and that they are responsible for, there's a host of us out here, family, friends, so forth, sons, daughters, mothers, fathers in the community that are being affected by their actions yeah. at that point, you know. Lou, your your brother, Terry, died yeah. died of COVID complications in January of last year. Your daughter, Sarah, it was just announced today uh, that she's taking a leave of absence from running uh, the Penumbra Center for Racial Healing, uh, which, you know, of course, is uh, the theater that you founded. Um, it's a lot. It's a lot right now for you guys, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, there's uh, a lot going on. I've got a, I've got a lot of beautiful friends and family that are, that are there should I need them. But uh, uh, yeah, it, it, it's tough, and it's it's even harder to watch the people that you love grieve than it is to grieve yourself. Mm. If that makes any sense sure to you, sure does. Yeah, yeah, that's a profound yeah. truth right there. That watching yeah. watching your daughter's pain is is worse than than your own for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. we're we're all with you. You guys, your family is such a. a an important part of what the Twin Cities has been and what we are today. 
And certainly any family who's going through a tragedy like this, uh, we we would be walking with and thinking of, uh, and the same is, is for you as this goes forward. Well, thank you. I appreciate you putting light on this and, and helping us to let people know about it. Lou Bellamy uh, here on CCO. Thanks, Lou. It's 3.50 back in just a minute. State of Minnesota was sending out some license plates to people, randomly assigned license plates. I I have a weird license plate. It starts with FAB, and you're like, that's strange, FAB. Some people were getting license plates from the state. P-E-E. Oops. P-E-E. Uh, <laughs> racket uh, reported on this online. Uh, turns out that uh, there were a handful of people that got the uh, P-E-E. A DVS is not doing that anymore. They've stopped. They put a stop in. No no more random plates with... Can you imagine, like, a 16-year-old, your first plate? Like, you would love it. P. P123. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.